0: I had been a pastor for a short period of time when it came to my attention that a major decision needed to be made. It was the early 2000s and if you were in business, if you had some organization you had to run, you needed a personal digital assistant. And if you're under the age of 25, you've probably haven't seen one of these before, but here is the Palm Pilot. The reigning champion. And if you're looking at that going, they had a stylus pen in the early 2000s? No, they didn't. The problem was, your finger was as fat as a sausage, and you couldn't actually type, so you would peck around with the pen. But there was a newcomer on the block, the Canadian-owned BlackBerry. And rather than just having a full screen, they gave you a physical keyboard that you could type with, and people loved it. If you were a Canadian pastor, you were all in on this revolutionary technology. But I'm young. I'm in my early, mid-20s, and I'm thinking, I'm not sure either of those resonate with us. Thankfully, Steve Jobs came to the rescue and offered the first generation iPod Touch. Look really closely. You'll see the YouTube uh, icon, and it's a CRT TV. And I would walk around, and I would show people how quick I could get from my contacts to my notes to watching YouTube. I became an Apple spokesman overnight. I went to a party once, and someone said, have you seen the brand new iPod Touch? Dave has one. You should go over and talk to him about it. This was revolutionary. 15 years later, I have an Apple Watch, I have a much newer iPhone, I have an iPad, I have a MacBook, and I don't even talk about it, outside of maybe pretending I'm in Mission Impossible and I get to talk to my watch, which is still pretty cool. But we have these moments where we get excited to share about special life events or major purchases that we're making. I mean, you invite somebody to your wedding, you invite friends and family, and you say, come celebrate with this major event that's taking place in our lives. You purchase a house, and you invite people to a homecoming and to see what's happening. You get back from vacation, and you say, you got to see these pictures that I took when we were camping or when we were overseas or when we were visiting friends. And it's this wonderful time together. My sister thinks it's so cute that my son pretends he's a dinosaur. The rest of us laugh when the dinosaur bites my sister in the butt. And then it's a story for all of us to enjoy. You probably know where this is going. We get excited about major life events. We get excited to share about the new boat that we purchased or the TV to watch the big game on or the things that are taking place in our lives. But the biggest thing that ever happens to us is whether or not we choose to follow Jesus. And yet, we have this inclination to not share with others. Not because we don't want to, not because we don't know that the news is good, but because we think, well, if someone doesn't like my iPhone, big deal. If somebody doesn't like Jesus, they might reject me, they might cast me to the side. They might think, oh, he or she is one of those religious freaks. So how do we talk about the gospel on a regular basis and make it palatable for our friends to understand what it means and what it looks like? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a major conversation. One of our values as a church is inescapable mission where we would just be captivated by the awe and the wonder of what you have done for us and then to go and share it with others. So, Heavenly Father, as much as many of us are intimidated by sharing the gospel, as much as many of us don't know where to even begin, may today's sermon and over the next five weeks, may your Holy Spirit speak to every one of us. And God, as we pray almost every week, that my words would fall down, that your words would be lifted up, and that we would see a church transformed and we would see lives transformed as we live into this invitational culture. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to hop into 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're brand new to church and you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew racks in front of you. That's our gift for you today. Or you can open up um, your smartphone, which is a lot better than the first generation iPhone Touch, and you can uh, download the Bible app. Um, if you open up to the table of contents, you'll find 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. Big numbers are the chapter numbers. Small numbers are the verse numbers will be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Before we get there... We just finished a summer sermon series on uh, summer blockbusters, and we looked at these wonderful stories of God moving in our lives. We've seen um, the work that he did through Hosea and how he went and he loved his wife back and brought her back to him. We saw stories of Gideon and Samson and Joseph and these Old Testament heroes that we hear about so regularly. And so we go, how do we go from that to inescapable mission? We wanna be reminded that when we think about who Jesus is and what he's doing, the same spirit, the same God that is working these Old Testament people is still working in us today and that is fantastic news. 2 Corinthians chapter five, picking up in verse 11. If you like following along word for word, I almost always have an ESV, some heavy theological ideas here. Um, So for simplicity's sake, I'm the NIV today. Verse 11, since then, We know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what it is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died, and he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The book of 2 Corinthians, we're hopping right into it, and there's a lot going on. The man who wrote 2 Corinthians is a man by the name of Paul, often referred to as the Apostle Paul. And Corinth is a major world city, just kind of like New York or London or Toronto is today. And so all sorts of people come and go from Corinth, and it's an international hub. And what takes place is that Paul goes in there a number of years before, and he uh, starts a church, and he says to the people, this is how you lead somebody to Jesus. This is how you disciple somebody who's committed their life to Jesus. This is what a church service looks like. And the church in Corinth is doing fairly well. And then after the church is established, Paul then goes on as a missionary and goes to another place where he starts the church all over again. But what happens when you're an international city is you get international people come and visit. And suddenly the apostle Paul didn't seem so impressive to the people of Corinth. These new people showed up that Paul termed the super apostles. And these super apostles would show up and they would be good looking and they would be wealthy and they would speak much better than Paul did. And so the people in Corinth would think, well, why would I listen to the apostle Paul when this guy is fancier dressed, doesn't have the same types of suffering that Paul went through, speaks to us in ways that are so easy to understand. When Paul, it was a little bit difficult and rather convoluted. And the apostle Paul spends chapters two through five saying, what you need to see is what's so important here. The word of God is moving in your midst. And I hope that you listen to me because I am the one that helped this church start. I am the one that helped you see how beautiful God is. And you are my commendation. You are the letters of faith and, um, that are showing the people around you how great God is. And so after Paul defends himself and reminds the Corinthians of all that takes place, it's like he's saying this. Okay, now let's keep first things first. Do you have a fear of the Lord? In other words, do you care that your friends, your family members, your neighbors, your coworkers are going to hell if they don't believe in Jesus? Do you care that those around you who do not believe in Jesus are going to spend eternity in hell? Now, by God's grace, we've had a lot of new families over the summer. Maybe you're watching online, maybe you've checked us out, maybe you've come to Summerfest and you thought, man, that summer sermon series was great. Stories of God moving, watching, well, everything that took place with Joseph and then Gideon and Samson and Hosea and Elisha and Elijah, these are fantastic. I want to come back. And then we start a brand new sermon series and the first thing I say is, hey, people who don't know Jesus are going to hell. And you might think, whoa, 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 Dave, I- I'm not sure I'm all in on that. But we make huge decisions all the time. We decide if we're going to get married, who are we gonna marry? We spend a fortune on a home or on a brand new car or where we go to school. But the biggest decision you will ever make, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he is the son of God, born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, buried, raised from the dead and is one day coming back? And the scripture is clear. If you believe this to be true, you spend eternity with God. If you do not, eternity in hell and torture. Choosing to believe in Jesus has these eternal consequences. And are we so compelled by love that we would share this good news? If you're a note taker, that's the first point this morning. Are you compelled by love to share this good news with your friends, with family members, with neighbors? Are you so compelled by love that you recognize I might be God's plan to go and save somebody? Are you so compelled by love that as an ambassador of Christ, you have the privilege, you are commissioned by the king of the universe to go out and to share the good news with others? It's a huge testament. It's an invitation. It's an Inescapable mission. Looking at that very first verse in verse 11, since then, we know that it is the fear of the Lord. We try to persuade others. I work hard on my messages. I study, I write, I think about it, I try to memorize it to some extent so I don't always have to look at my notes. And a couple years ago, I thought, well, enough of reading preaching books. I'm curious um, what other people say. If I were to learn about TED Talks or politicians, how do they improve their speaking ability? So I found this book. It was written by uh, somebody who was the head speechwriter for two presidential administrations. And I don't remember a whole lot of what was written except this one big idea. He said, so many people think speeches are all about informing others, especially pastors on Sunday morning. The only hint in the entire book that he might be a Christian. And he goes, it's not about informing people. The president doesn't just stand up to inform. The president stands up to persuade. A TED talk, the individual stands up to persuade. A preacher stands in front of his church and he tries to persuade. So I find this book and I am fascinated by what he says. And whether you take notes or whether you want to just tuck this away at the back of your mind, if you open the book of Acts and start reading, you'll find the word persuade, reason, and understand over and over and over again. Because as the Apostle Paul is going on these missionary journeys, he's showing up and he's talking to dedicated Jews and to people who don't believe in Judaism at all. And he's saying, there's a brand new, better way of thinking. And he's persuading them. Two years ago, we were getting ready to launch... An Alpha course, if you're unfamiliar with Alpha, it's a series of interactive videos and conversation, usually done around food, um, that are really well done. And the conversation is rich and it's important and there's this opportunity to talk about anything you want. The leaders of these tables have been well-trained to help you kind of wrestle through, well, what does it mean to um, be a follower of Jesus? What does that look like? What these big questions of faith? And so two years ago, I had this goal that I was going to invite a minimum of five people to Alpha. And so I invited more than that. And do you want to know how many people showed up? Zero. Not one of the people I invited showed up to Alpha. And a couple months later, it struck me. I was just informing. I want to care enough about these people that I would lovingly persuade them to show up to Alpha. So last year, I did it all over again. I had a goal. I set that goal in mind. And I said, I'm going to have at least two people come to Alpha and I want to care about them enough so that when they show up, they would say, this Jesus that Dave has talked to us about is changing our lives. And I had that opportunity to see it take place. If we are compelled by love, if we are captured by this inescapable mission, will we tell the people around us, our friends, our family members, our coworkers, our classmates, our neighbors, about what that means and what it looks like? Now, you might already be making excuses. Dave, 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 you're a pastor. You've gone to seminary. You study the Bible all the time. That's your job. That's not my job. It is your job. And you might not know exactly what to say, and we're going to talk about that over the next five weeks, but I want to share a story with you that helped me see this really clearly. A few years ago, one of my youth pastor friends shared the story how two of his students had graduated from high school and were gonna go um, to the same university outside of Edmonton. And he said, Dave, I'm really nervous. The one student is really bright, but he's an atheist. He showed up to, church, uh, to Friday night youth group because it was fun and that's where his friends hung out, but he has no intention of following God. The other kid, good kid, loves Jesus, not the sharpest tool in the shed. And I thought, well, What happened? He goes, they came back home six weeks later at Thanksgiving and the atheist was completely transformed. And so I talked to these two students and I said, what took place? And the atheist had a big smile on his face and he said, oh, I had full intention of helping my roommate walk away from faith. And every night I proposed reason after reason why Christianity isn't real, why Jesus is a fake, and why he should walk away from Christianity. And this young man kept saying to him, I don't know how to respond to your questions, but I do know this. God loves me. He sent his son for me. Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I'm gonna follow Jesus. And this atheist was so compelled by this argument over and over again that he started going to church. They started going to Bible studies and within those first six weeks of being away from his mom and dad, he said, I'm committing my life to Jesus. My friends, it doesn't matter what your education level is. All of us can share this good news. If you take another look at verse 14, a little bit further down, it says, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. To better understand this verse, we need to go to everyone's favorite book of the Bible, Leviticus. And Leviticus chapter one starts off with burnt offerings. But this is what we read in verse four. He is to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. If you're unfamiliar with this idea of atonement, one way to define it is the reconciliation between God and humanity. And the law of atonement prescribes that a sinner must identify himself or herself with the sacrificial victim. So that when the victim is sacrificed, the sinner effectively dies with it. So in the Old Testament, a man would say, I have sinned, put his head on a lam- his hand on the head of a lamb or a goat and say, I am transferring my sin to this animal. And the Apostle Paul is saying, all of us can place our hand on Jesus Christ, who died for all people, and it's incredibly powerful. Are you comp- compelled to share this love with others? Maybe you might be thinking, I, I, don't, I don't know if I care. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to invite them into my home. I don't know how to start that conversation. Dave, I don't know where to begin. One more story before we move to the next point. A number of years ago, I was on my internship, and uh, I did a whole bunch of things on my internship, and one of them was to work with the youth group. And because I was in a small town, it was pretty um, commonplace for all the churches to gather together to have one big youth event And I'm in my early 20s. I'm single. There's some cute youth leaders from the other churches. And so the youth event is coming to an end. And I kind of saddle up to this one lady and we talk for a little while. And a couple days later, my lead pastor calls me into his office and he says, Dave, you made quite an impression on that young lady. And I thought to myself, I bet I did. (laughs) And he said, "Uh, did you know that she was the daughter of the Pentecostal pastor? And I said, no, I did not. And he said, she thinks you're a bit arrogant. In fact, she thought you were a little bit of a jerk. And I remember thinking to myself, this is a watershed moment. If I'm going to spend the rest of my life in full-time ministry, if I plan on being a pastor, I can't have people thinking that way. What kind of witness is that about the love of Jesus? And that day, that week, I decided I'm going to do something. And so I prayed every single day For 10 years, God, fill me with love. Fill me with love. May your love be evident in my life. And I believe he changed me. Friends, you might not know what to say. You might not always know what to do. But will you pray and say, God, fill me with your love. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that when wherever I am, my presence, my open invitation, my willingness to talk with people, to listen, to engage in conversation will transform lives and prepare them for the good news of Jesus. Because if we're serious about an inescapable mission, we have to start by being compelled by this love. What does it lead to? Reconciled to God. Verses 16 to 19. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The Apostle Paul is a master at crafting arguments. As followers of Jesus, he says, you are marked by the love of Christ. As followers of Jesus, you are compelled by love to share that with others. As followers of Jesus, we have been shaped by the love of Jesus who loved us so much that he died on the cross for our sins. And we cheer and we celebrate and we think, you go Paul, preach it. And the paragraph changes. The tone shifts just a bit. And Paul starts a brand new paragraph, and I'm paraphrasing it here, and he says, since we are compelled by love, there must be no prejudice among you. That it doesn't matter what skin color you have. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter who you vote for or who you cheer for. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level." And the Apostle Paul is saying, if we are compelled by love, there shall be no prejudice. As a church, we have this beautiful mission statement to make disciples who love God, love people and serve the world. We have people in our church who worked exceptionally hard coming up with the five values that we have as a church. Last year at this time, we did courageous community over the next five weeks in escapable mission. Who knows if we do the other three next year or not. There is a laser focus on this is our strategy. This is who we are going to be as a church. This is who we believe God has called us to be. Just a few minutes ago, we heard Joel give um, the announcements for this week. One of them was that there's going to be a big foyer renovation. With all the mission statement, with all the values, with all the strategic directions, do you know what's going on that back wall? Welcome home. Welcome home and it doesn't matter if you are visiting for the very first time, it doesn't matter if you've been attending this church longer than I've been alive, what we want is at the foot of the cross, the ground is level, and that everyone who walks into this building feels like they're coming home. Are you so compelled by love, so captured by this inescapable mission that you say, I want to be a part of God's plan to reconcile other people to God? Why? Is verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. There's a big theological term for this. It's called regeneration. The radical spiritual change where God brings an individual from spiritual death to a condition of spiritual life and holiness, sometimes people call it being born again. Do you realize how great this news is? That once we believe in Jesus, everything changes. That immediately upon confession of Jesus, no longer are we destined for hell, but we get to spend with him the glories of heaven. Immediately we are adopted as sons and daughters of a great and holy king. Immediately we have security in our relationship with Jesus that once we have confessed our faith in him, he holds us tight and will never let us go. This is the best world, best news the world has ever heard that everyone who believes in Jesus shall not perish, but have eternal life, that we are reconciled to God and captivated by an inescapable mission. And it gets even better. God doesn't say you have to wait until the other side of glory. God says it starts right now, that the same spirit that is alive in Jesus is alive in every one of us who calls Jesus king. That the fruit of the Spirit, that Kelsey talked about earlier, love and joy and peace and patience and so much more is taking place in you right now. That you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. That was our whole series in in the spring to do great works for the kingdom of God. And it's happening right now. You are a brand new creation. Are you captured by an inescapable mission of a friend His name's Ron. He's probably about 80 years old or so now. And uh, he was one of my elders back in Alberta Beach, the last church I worked at. And uh, Ron said, Dave, I was a trucker and I was a poster boy for swearing like a trucker. And he goes, You never heard any mouth as bad as mine. I thought to myself, whatever the case was, I'm sure it was bad. He said, one Sunday morning, I had the morning off and I was flipping through the channels and who knows if he was a football fan or what the case was. And he stumbled onto a pastor who was preaching. And a pastor gave a salvation message. And my friend Ron said, I think he was around his mid thirties. Dave, I fell off my chair to the ground, started weeping as a hardened trucker and said, God, I give my life to you. And from that moment, I stopped swearing. Now, some of us have stories like that. Others of us, it's been a gradual movement of holiness over a long period of time. But this passage in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is in relation to what the prophet Isaiah writes in chapter 43 of his book, where he says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? The context here in Isaiah is that he's writing to the nation of Israel. And he's saying to Israel, forget the former ways that you were living. Live as though you were a brand new creation. And the Apostle Paul is saying, people of Corinth, people of Ellerslie, those of you who are watching online, do you not recognize that you are a brand new creation? That God has reconciled you to himself and how incredible this news is. You look at verses 18 and 19, and in two verses, we have four mentions of the word reconciliation. And Paul says, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And God is at work reconciling the whole world to himself. To reconcile means to make peace between enemies. Paul also wrote to the church in Rome and says this, If we, when we were God's enemies, were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? It's God who does the reconciliation. It's God the Father who says, Jesus, I need you to go on a rescue mission. It's Jesus who says, God, the Father, I love you so much and I love your people so much. I will go down to earth on a suicide mission to bring all of them back to you. It's the Holy Spirit who is pursuing us, chasing us down, working in our lives, saying, come back to God. It is God who says, I will not count your sins against you, but I have paid the penalty. I will make things right. Then he looks at you and he looks at me and he says, will you be captivated by an inescapable mission, compelled by love, reconciled to God yourself and reconciling others to God with you? Have you ever had the privilege of leading someone to Jesus? Two weeks ago, Kelsey stood up on the stage with incredible news and all of her joy. And she said, this past week at day camp, we didn't have one or two, or five, or 10, or 20 kids give their lives to Jesus. We had 28 confessions of faith. What a privilege it is for those team members who worked all week at day camp to be able to sit down with these young boys and girls and help them have that prayer of confession to say, Jesus, I wanna make you my king. And maybe you wanna get involved. And maybe you say, Dave, I want to talk to somebody about Alpha. I would love to be at one of those Alpha tables leading people to Jesus. I'd love to be on the cooking team leading people to Jesus. I would love to open my home and practice the art of hospitality and show people the love of Jesus just by having them sit around the table with me. We are compelled by love, we are reconciled to God. And then he says, will you be ambassadors of Christ? This is verses 20 and 21. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. as so God, were making his appeal through us. We implore you, think about that word. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then the beautiful verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In politics, an ambassador plays a significant role in international affairs. The primary duties of ambassadors are to maintain those diplomatic relations with foreign states and promote their own policies and interests. An ambassador from a poor nation might arrive at the United States and say, we cannot afford medication. Our people do not have the means to pay for it. Can you either give it to us at the cost of just producing that drug, or perhaps you would be willing to even give us the medication? There's people right now, ambassadors from Europe, showing up in Canada saying, we are going to have an energy crisis with the entire war taking place between Ukraine and Russia. Can you, Canada, help us out with this energy crisis? Can you do something to make it happen? They have been appointed by their president or prime minister or whoever the ruling body is. The king of heaven, the God of the universe, has said, will you be my ambassador? Will you be my ambassador? Will you be my ambassador? To tell your friends, your family members, your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbors, how the good news of Jesus will radically transform their lives. The king of heaven is saying, you are my ambassador. You are called to maintain and grow these relationships. You are entrusted to promote the interests and the policies of the king. You are given the good news of Jesus to share with a hurting and broken world. And then our passage ends with an incredible verse. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Every one of us in this room Everybody watching online, everyone the whole world over has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have hurt people with our words. We have lied. We have hit other cars and parking lots and not left notes. We've slept around. We've got drunk. We have treated people horribly. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. And then God sends his one and only son, Holy perfect, blameless. He was such an obvious understanding of who the Messiah was that his own mother, his brothers and sisters, his closest friends said, Jesus is the Christ. And God the Father takes all of our sin, a mountain's worth, and pours it on Jesus. Jesus never became a sinner, but he took on sin. And then three days later, gloriously resurrected from the grave. And God the Father says, I will take my son's righteousness and I will now place it on you. That Jesus took the sin we deserve so that we might receive the grace and the benefit of heaven that only he deserves. It's the best news the world has ever heard. As ambassadors of God, what does being an ambassador of Christ look like for you? Small groups, Triads, lunches with friends, family members, talking in the foyer. What does it look like? We're going to spend the next month talking about it. But start thinking, Jesus, what does it mean for me to be an ambassador for Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the powerful words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul implores us to be reconciled to God. God, I pray for our church family, for everybody here, for everybody watching online and listening to the podcast throughout the week, that you would fill us with love, that it would be a defining mark for us as a follower of Jesus, that we would be people of love, compelled to love those around us and to those you place right in front of us. God, we pray that we would help people see how beautiful your news is. That we, would be persu- uh, that we would persuade people lovingly to see the good news of the gospel and that we would make you proud as ambassadors for your glory. Please fill us with your spirit. Please fill this place with your spirit and help us to have an invitational culture that shows the good news of Jesus over and over and over again. We pray this in Jesus' holy name, Amen.